Okay, I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles. Let's look together. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 12. This is the third of the seven churches that we're looking at this morning, Pergamos. And so we're going to begin reading here in Revelation 2, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 2, verse 12. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says, He who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the, on, a, on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Let's have prayer. Lord, will you bless us as we study this morning. May you just allow your Holy Spirit just to be able to, to touch our hearts, to draw us closer to you. And Lord, may today be the day that you're honored by our decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking today at the, the Compromise Church. Now, there was a friend, there was a person I heard of. He's called the Snake Man. The Snake Man, he just, he would go around in, in his job site even and catch snakes. And then he had a, a way of just holding them out, trying to be able to scare and just aggravate people and just have fun. One day when he was at work, he picked up a snake. It was a rattler. He was waving it around at people. Of course, people are scared and running around. That's how I would be. I don't care. I don't I don't uh, care for somebody waving a snake at me. Now, this snake managed to turn its head and was able to bite him on the thumb. So it bit him on the thumb, and his he dropped that snake, and then he his thumb, his arm began to swell up, and they had to rush him to the hospital. He almost died. After a couple of weeks, that swelling had went down. He was able to return back to work, and people came back. They didn't even know his real name. They just called him the Snake Man. He said, Snake Man, good to have you back. And he said, you know, I'm no longer the Snake Man. My name's Walt. Well, I think Walt learned that snakes, you keep playing with them long enough, there's a good chance you're going to get bit. That's how sin is. Sin is going to bite you, and it leaves you devastated. The people at the church of Pergamos, they realized that Jesus Christ had changed their life. They had found forgiveness and entered in a relationship with God through Christ. And so that just made all the difference in the world. So as a result, even though they lived there at Pergamos, and let me just tell you a little about Pergamos, just so you can understand how hard it was. Pergamos says in the Bible here that it's a, their, Satan's throne is there. And it also talks about uh, not only was Satan's throne there, but it's a place where Satan dwells. And so now 
there's a couple of reasons, two or three reasons that people give for that that statement being there. One of them, they had a temple there to Escalpus, who was the Greek uh, god of healing. And so Escalpus at that temple, they his symbol was snake. And they would even have snakes that crawled around in the temple. And if one of them was to be able to touch you or come up to you, then they would say you would be healed. Now, that wouldn't happen to me because I wouldn't I wouldn't have been there. But and some of you feel the same way that I do, I know. So Escalpus at the so at the temple, some people think that that's what we're talking about, especially with Satan being referred to as the serpent. And then there's also one of the seven wonders of the world. There was a temple for Zeus that was there. It had statues of the gods outside of that. It had a magnificent, uh, just a magnificent place. And some people think that that, that was the reason that um, for making reference to the throne of Satan. But then there was also, there was also the, the, uh, temple that was put there in, to worship the emperors. And they had more than one, and they were for, for specific emperors. Of course, we've looked at before where in emperor worship, you had to be able to declare that this emperor was Lord, and Christians wouldn't do that. And so it, it made it very difficult, and they faced persecution of that. And so the Lord compliments them and that they, in spite of being able to be there at Pergamos, and Pergamos was considered the capital of that region, of that area, and uh, it was, some would say, the greatest city in, in uh, that part of the Roman Empire. And so uh, the Lord compliments them, though, in being able to uh, see the importance of, of Jesus' name. And, and so he, he tells them, you've, you've held fast to my name. And so in spite of all the, the difficulties, they held fast and held on to the name of Jesus. And by the way, the name of Jesus is the name that's above every name. There's no other name. There's no other salvation in any other. And there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Jesus himself said in, in, in John 16, talking to his disciples, if you'll pray, if you can ask in my name, then you'll receive. There's power in the name of Jesus. And the early church recognized that. This church at Pergamos recognized the power of Jesus' name. Uh, I heard Adrian Rogers talk about when he was pastoring in Florida. You see, he said that pastoring in Florida, there was an event that had taken place that the Air Force Base had invited uh, Billy Graham to come and to speak. They were having a clergy event. They were inviting clergy from all over, from all denominations and religions to come and to take part. And Billy Graham was going to be the speaker. And he said he was uh, at a luncheon and he was sitting at the table next to uh, George Beverly Shea. He said one of the chaplains came up to George Beverly Shea and said, would you mind singing for us? And he said, I'd be glad to. He said, well, we'd like you to sing How Great Thou Art. Oh, he said, I'd love to. He said, but you know that verse that says, and God sent not his son. Uh, and, and he said, yes. 
guy, uh, he said, well, could you leave that part off about God sending his son? And he said, well, why? And he said, well, because the chaplain said, we've got people from the Jewish faith and just different denominations, and some of them don't feel so strongly about Jesus. And so if you could just leave that verse, there's a little too much Jesus in that. And George Beverly say, Adrian Rogers said, I was listening a little closer just to see how he would respond. And George Beverly say said, no, I don't think I'll be able to sing. I couldn't do that. You just get someone else and that'll be okay. The chaplain returned and he said, we decided that you can sing whatever you want. We'll, it'll be okay. We'd just like for you to sing. And he said, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll sing all those verses then of how great thou art. But the good thing is he stood up for the name of Jesus. You know, we've got chaplains all across our nation that are being asked to lead in prayer, but to not pray publicly in Jesus' name. And so I hope that those chaplains will be like George Beverly Shea and just say, you know, if you want me to pray as a Christian, I have to pray in the name of Jesus. And as Christians, Jesus is the answer. We need to be able to stand up and be able to, uh, to, to honor Christ. And so he compliments them, not only on the name of Jesus, but on, on their example of faith. And he gives the example of one named Antipas. Now, this is the only verse that Antipas is listed. But one of the things that we see with Antipas is, is that it says that he was a faithful, my faithful martyr. You know, that those are the very words in Greek that were used of the Lord Jesus in the first chapter. Anytime that you have some characteristic or the same titles being used to describe you, that are used to describe Jesus Christ, you're in good company. And so Antipas was one, it says, that stood and was willing to actually give his life for the Lord. Now, the word martyr is actually a transliteration of a Greek word, and many times it's translated witness. For example, in Acts 1.8, we're told to be his witnesses. That's the word martyr. So a, a martyr is actually a witness for the Lord. And as a witness, we're standing up for Christ. We need to be willing to be, go so far as to even give our lives. And some did. And Antipas was one of them. And so a great example. And the Lord compliments them of the things in the past. But he has a condemnation. And you know, the Lord examines us and he knows us and he knows what's happening at this church, what they're dealing with. And he said, I've got some things that I'm concerned about, and some teachings or some people that they're allowing within the church. Now, I wonder if you and I would be able to be, uh, to say, Lord, would you search us? What would it be like if the Lord looked at our church or our individual lives and began to look at us? It reminds me of Psalm 139 where David in Psalm 139, ask the Lord, he says, search me, Lord, and try me. See if there's any wicked way within me. Psalm 139 is a chapter that deals with the attributes of God. And it says, you know, that God actually is before us. He's behind us. 
that he actually knows the things that we're thinking, the things that we speak. He can he knows before we even say it. So God already knows all about us. And so Psalm 139 reminds us of that. And so after being reminded of that, David says, Lord, search me. Now, if you're having a God, he, he knows everything that you're thinking. He knows the words before you speak them. And he's searching. If there's something wrong, it's going to be revealed. And so would you be willing to pray that prayer? Lord, search me and try me. See if there's any wicked way within me. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing with these letters to the churches. He is sharing with us the good things, but also telling us about the bad things. And so two condemnations. And the first one is the doctrine of Balaam. Let's remind ourselves about Balaam. Balaam was in the Old Testament. He was a prophet. And it was recognized that God's hand was upon him. And so Balak, who was king of Moab, was scared of the nation Israel, had it seemed like God had really blessed them, and they were doing so well. And so he had hired, he went to Balaam and said, hey, I'm going to pay you to be able to curse them. I don't know how much it was, but apparently it was enough that got Balaam some tension, and he liked to have the money. And so Balaam went to curse them, but instead of cursing them, he blessed them. Balaam wasn't too, Balak wasn't too happy. He said, no, wait a minute, I'm paying you to curse them, not bless them. Try it again. And so they tried it again. And they tried a third time. And all three times, Balaam blesses Israel. Well, you can imagine Balak is not too happy. Balaam, he wants the money, so he's not happy. But Balaam says, you know, I can't. I can't curse the nation Israel because God has his hand upon them. And I can. all I can do is what the Lord's telling me to do, and that's bless them. But then Balaam tells Balak, he said, but if you want them cursed, there's something you can do. He said, you need to be able to get all these young girls. You need to throw a big party, have all these Israelite men come, be able to, to have an idol there. And in that idol, you be able to have a big dinner, a celebration in all honor of that idol. He said, and you won't have to worry about a curse because Sin has consequences, and God will judge his people. And so, sure enough, that's what they do, and they mislead, and they, they trap, and, and they lead God's people into sin. Eventually, there'd be 24,000 that would die because of that. You know, in some ways, here in America, with our college students, we send them off. A lot of people aren't ready quite yet with their faith to be off by themselves. And it seems like that Satan is at work laying traps for them to be able to fall, fall into and to get them away from their faith. And so the doctrine of Balaam. Then there's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. This word Nicolaitans, some people believe this was the first deacon that had, had, had come up with this doctrine, but there's no indication of that whatsoever. But when you study the name, the first part of that name is Nike, where we get our Greek word Nike, and it is the God. Remember, he is the God, the wing God of victory. And then the second part of that is laity, where we get our word laity. And so these Nicolaitans, many people believe then that it was where you take their doctrine uh, and make a distinction between 
those that are in, in charge and the laity. And, and so you're making a huge distinction between them. For example, let me just give you some examples. So if I was to say, hey, um, you, uh, you can, if you're going to pray to God, you really need me. You know, if you need a professional, you need the pastor, you need the person that's in charge. And so I'm the one that talks to God. If you want to talk to God, you can come to me. But you know what the Bible teaches? Peter said in 1 Peter, he said that as Christians, we're a peculiar people, that we're actually a kingdom of priests. And he's that's a reference to the whole nation of Israel because we're to have a relationship with God. And if you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you, which means you have access to the very throne room of God so you can pray. And talk to God. You can be able to intercede for God and to make a difference in other people's lives. And it doesn't matter what your occupation or what you're doing. If you have Christ or if you have the Spirit of God living within you, then that's who you are. Well, some people might say, hey, you can't understand the Bible without me. Well, the truth is the Bible is a spiritual book for spiritual people. And if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, then God can speak to you and wants to speak to you from just reading and studying his word. And so if you want to grow in your Christian life, then you need to open your Bible and you need to be able to study it and read it on your own. And you can. And I'm glad that the Bible's been translated and there's Bibles that are, are available for any person to be able to read and to be able to, to, to comprehend and to understand and so the Nicolation, the doctrine of the Nicolations was turning that around. Now, you know, many people believe that these letters to the churches represent time, uh, periods of time in history. And so this third letter is thought to have been during the time of Constantine. And Constantine is when all of a sudden the church was under persecution. And all of a sudden Constantine says, thought became a Christian and said, you know what? The Roman Empire, Christianity is going to be our national religion. And everything changed. And so they began to, to wed together the, the former pagan feast days with Christianity. And, and then, of course, if the king is a Christian, and that's the national religion. Then people became Christians just to be in good with the king. Soon you had leaders within the church that probably weren't even Christians. that didn't have a relationship and they're leading and guiding. See, this is a, the Lord is condemning the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans because it's wedding them together. And so as a result, it's going to, to mislead and, 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 uh, Take God's people away from the Lord and from serving Him. Now, here in America, the Danbury Baptists wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson. And they asked him, they said, Mr. President, we're concerned about having a national church. And Thomas Jefferson wrote back to them and said, there's a wall of separation of church and state. See, that's the first time that was ever used, that phrase, in, in, uh, in our history. 
It's not in the Constitution. It's not in our founding documents, but it was in a letter that Jefferson wrote back to the Danbury Baptist, and he just assured them this wall of separation that there would be no church, state church, and the state would not interfere. The government would not interfere in the church, that the churches would be free to make their decision and to honor God so they can be authentic and be able to, to serve God in that manner. And so getting away from this very thing that we're talking about with the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And so the Lord, by the way, you know, in verse 15, when he's talking about the, uh, the Nicolaitans, he said, which I hate. And then the letter to the to the church of Ephesus in verse 6, he says the same thing about the Nicolaitans. He said, I hate. So the Lord, listen to this, the Lord wants to have a personal relationship with each person. And so he doesn't want you to, to have to go through someone else. In fact, can I tell you something? Your making it to heaven is not dependent upon your relationship with your pastor, your relationship with your parents, but it's in, dependent upon your relationship with God. You can have a great relationship with your parents, but that don't mean you're going to heaven. The only way you're going to heaven is if your sins are forgiven, and that only takes place if you know Jesus Christ. So he calls on this church. He said, you need to repent. You need to repent. So it's a call to repent. Repentance is turning from our sin and back to God. Turning away from sin and turning toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, then that's what you need to do to be able to accept Christ. You have to repent. You've got to turn away from the sin that you're in, and you've got to face Jesus Christ and allow Jesus, ask Him to forgive you and to be your Lord and Savior. Now, there's Christians, Christians that have fallen prey to this doctrine of Balaam, that have been misled, that have fallen into sin, that have been fallen into a trap. To be The way out of that is turning away from that. And turning toward the Lord Jesus. He's the only one that has the power to be able to rescue you. To be able to forgive you. And so we need to be able to turn. We need to be able to repent. He does give a couple of uh, uh, words of, uh, of reward. He said, people that overcome, I'm going to give a couple of things. If you're willing to overcome and serve in me, I'm going to give, number one, a provision of manna. Manna. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, would want, they wandered around, and of course, for 40 years. But God provided bread from heaven. Book of Psalms, it says, refers to it as the bread of angels. And so God provided every day this manna for them. Now, a part of that manna was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. It was hidden there. And so he says, I, I'm going to allow you to be able to have some of this hidden manna, to be able to, to, to remind you of your provision. So what he's doing here, he's, he's telling, if you're an overcomer, you don't have to worry about your next meal or you, what's coming up next. This is just a promise of provision. Then he also gives a second thing, and he mentions here the white stone. Now, there's many people with a new name on it. And there's many people that have come up with different ideals. Let me just give you th three. And if you, you can read 10 books on Revelation 
And they're all, there'll be 10 of them that give 10 different ideals. But some have said that a jury, if you was being a facing trial and it's a jury trial, Blackstone meant guilty. Whitestone meant innocent. And so he said, I'm going to give you a white stone. Means that we would be justified. If a person is in Christ, you're not, you, you're, you're not going to be found guilty. You've been cleansed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some that say these stones that they had were, um, they wore to be able to, to keep, uh, they're like good luck charms. And so basically he's saying, you don't need a good luck charm. This is a white stone because you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You've been made white. You're sinner free. You don't need some type of good luck charm. You don't need a rabbit's foot. You've got Christ. There's some that think that this is also something that was used by the priest. And so these new names that would remind us is that the Lord is always available. For example, you know, when Abraham was offering up his son for sacrifice, then the ram was there, Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. Or maybe you need God that heals. Whatever name that you need, that name would be on your stone, and it would be just for you. So there's some that believe that. Now there's some, I was saying it, that think that this new name that's on there has to, to do with a name that a new name God is providing for you. Like he changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham. He changed um, Jacob to Israel. And he's got a new name that's more appropriate to your character, more appropriate to who you are. So we just need to be overcomers. Now today, I hope that that's you. I hope that you're an overcomer. You know, may it be that we have Psalm 139 and we're like David and we say, Lord, will you search me and try me? See if there's any wicked way in me. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, my prayer is that today you'll come and give your heart and life to him. If you know Christ, that you would allow him to look at your heart and examine you and you'll turn and allow Jesus Christ to to be recommitted to him and really be in charge of our lives. I want to have prayer with you again. Lord, thank you for this day. May you continue to bless us. Thank you for people that have joined in and are listening today. And I just ask that you would just continue to, uh, to bless. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.